Hi, everyone. You're listening to Radio Cherry Bomb, and I'm your host, Carrie Diamond. Today's guest is Caroline Schiff, the pastry chef at Gage and Tolner in Brooklyn and the author of a brand new cookbook, The Sweet Side of Sourdough, 50 Irresistible Recipes for Pastries, Buns, Cakes, Cookies, and more. I went to the launch party for Caroline's book the other week, and there were plates filled with her cookies and focaccia, and everyone was in heaven. Caroline and I will talk about what she's making for Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah, by the way. The story behind her famous baked Alaska, and more. I forgot to ask her about her famous hairdo, but that's okay. Another time. I'd like to thank today's sponsor, Kerrygold. Kerrygold, of course, is the maker of beautiful butter and cheese with dairy from Irish grass-fed cows. Kerrygold's butter and cheese are the perfect products for all your holiday baking, making, and cooking. Be sure to head over to KerrygoldUSA.com because they have a special holiday calm program to help everybody de-stress this holiday period. I certainly need that. Engage all your senses, listen to some soothing sounds, and find some great recipes. We'll hear a word from Kerrygold in just a minute. A little housekeeping. I will be in Washington, D.C. on the evening of Tuesday, December 7th with Cheryl Day of Back in the Day Bakery. I love Cheryl. We'll be talking about her brand new cookbook, Cheryl Day's Treasury of Southern Baking. Tickets are $40 and include a signed copy of Cheryl's book, which is very epic. Visit boldforkbooks.com for more details. If you live in the D.C. area, I would love to see you. Now, let's hear a word from Kerrygold, and we'll be right back with Caroline Schiff. Kerrygold is delicious, all-natural butter and cheese, made with milk from Irish grass-fed cows. Our farming families pass their craft and knowledge from generation to generation. I'm fifth generation. It goes back over 250 years. This traditional approach is the reason for the rich taste of Kerrygold. Enjoy delicious new sliced or shredded Kerrygold cheddar cheese. Available in mild or savoury flavours at a retailer near you. Find your nearest store at kerrygoldusa.com. Caroline Schiff, welcome to Radio Cherry Bomb. Thank you for having me. So excited to talk to you today. Congratulations on your brand new book. Thank you so much. Your debut cookbook, The Sweet Side of Sourdough, which we will talk a lot about. We've got so much to talk to you about. You're going to talk about the book, Gage and Tolner, everything you're doing there, Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah right now, which I know is a lot of fun for you as a baker. All my favorite things. (laughs) All your favorite things, exactly. Let's start with the book. How did The Sweet Side of Sourdough come about? This book was actually sort of a, a, not really a mistake, but I never planned to write a sourdough book. And I certainly didn't plan to write a book at this point in my career. Like right before COVID hit and and New York shut down, as you know, I had a lot going on. We were gearing up to open Gage and Tolmer. You know, prior to that, my agent and I had pitched a couple ideas around and you know, I had like a cake book idea and all these things. And like, none of them were getting any bites. And then I was so focused on Gage and Tolner. I said, you know what? Let's just put the book on the back burner for now. Let me focus on this. Let me kind of see where it takes my career. And then like, let's circle back and revisit the idea of a book in, you know, however long. And then the pandemic happened. So then the pandemic happened. And... All of a sudden, overnight, Gage and Tolner was on hold. We had no idea what was going to happen. And like most people, I was just all of a sudden at home baking 
like crazy because, you know, for me, that's like my yoga, it's my, it's my stress relief. It's like, it's everything for me. So, you know, I'm baking like everybody else. And I also didn't want our restaurant sourdough starter to die. So I was like, I'm going to take her home. I'm going to feed her. And, you know, we can't neglect her. <laughs> so the starter is gendered. Does she have a name? Or yes. She's oh, just actually, she? she's um, she's named after Edna Lewis. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Edna. She's always with us and she's always inspiring us. Edna so, Lewis, the iconic chef who had cooked yes. at Gage and Tolner back in the day, yes. like in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, so I had the sourdough starter at home and I'm making bread every day. Every and then, day? Yeah. And giving it away? I'm like giving it away, but then I'm also like... I'm kind of losing my mind. I'm like shoving it in the freezer and making croutons. It's like, I think we all kind of felt like we were losing it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm giving stuff away. I'm like telling friends to come by. And this was at the point where we didn't know like what was safe to do. So it was like, you know, a friend would ride by on their bike and I would like throw a focaccia. I was kind of like overdosing on bread. I think a lot of us were, but I was committed to feeding the sourdough mm-hmm. starter. I know a lot of you out there already know what a sourdough starter is. But for those of you who don't, it's almost like having a pet. Yeah, yeah. You have to feed it every day or it starts to not feel well and then eventually it will die. So it's a culture. It's an active culture. You're feeding it with flour. Yeah, like any other kind of culture out there, whether it's like, you know, yogurt or kombucha or any of these things. So you feed it flour and water and then that starts to ferment and it, It lives off of the wild yeast in your environment. There's yeast everywhere. And the microbiome of your apartment, your house, your kitchen. So each one is unique. Each one kind of has its own characteristics and and flavors. Sometimes they can be like a little fruity, obviously yeasty. Some of them smell like wine or beer. Some are more funky than others. It's really cool. And this serves as the natural yeast in your baked goods. Right. So instead of using a commercial yeast, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with commercial yeast, you can use sourdough to leaven your bread. And it imparts texture and flavor, character. It's a little tricky because it's a little unpredictable. Sourdough starters are just like us. They have bad days. They get sluggish in the heat. They (laughs) They have personalities. They have personalities. They get annoyed if they don't get fed at the same time every day. So, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, like okay. if I get into work and I feed our starter a little late, it's like the whole day is off. Edna every- gets hangry? Yeah, totally, totally. Is Edna still with you? Oh, is she back oh, at Gage yeah. and Tolmer? Okay. Oh, yeah. She's she's doing great. Oh, we were just getting up to the discard part, yeah, which is so the worst word. But- it is, it is. And I, you know, when you feed your sourdough starter, you can't just feed the whole thing. Because if you do very quickly, it will multiply and you'll have like vats and vats of starter. I have a small apartment. I mean, I don't need to be living with vats of sourdough starter. You always have to throw a little bit away. Yeah. You always have a little bit that's that's, um, the discard that you kind of have to get rid of or you can use it. Might not necessarily have, because you haven't fed it, it doesn't have the same ability to leaven a loaf of bread, say, but it's still flour and water and it has cultures in it and it's got all this flavor and fermentation. So there's all these things you can do with it. And for me, I'm like, well, I'm feeding this thing every day and 
I hate wasting anything. And especially at that point in the pandemic, I really felt like throwing anything out was just, I, I, I couldn't do it. And again, I was kind of losing my mind. So I just started to do all these like weird things. with it. <laughs> so the first thing I did was just like make a pancake. And that sort of set some things off. And it was just, it was literally the laziest, simplest thing I could have done, which is I just poured the sourdough starter in a hot pan with some oil. I seasoned it. I added some sesame, some scallions and like flipped it and got it really crispy. And that was it. And I was like, okay, there's something here. We shouldn't be throwing this stuff out. There's a lot we can do with it. We should mention that people got very excited about that pancake. <laughs> <laughs> that became a thing. It did. And, and that made me so happy because it was just like, oh my God, all these people who mm -hmm. have like found some comfort in sourdough baking in this very heartbreaking time are now also getting creative themselves and they're not wasting. And it was just like, it sounds silly, but that really like it meant so much to me when people would like make a pancake and throw in whatever stuff they had and tagged me. I was like, oh my God, this is like so wild and cool. Instagram was definitely a lifeline back then. It was, it really was. I connected with a lot of people and that's actually how the book happened. Mm -hmm. An editor just sent me a DM and was like, you know, you've got a great style, you have a great platform and have you thought about writing a book? Do you have an agent? I never intended to write this book and like right from the get-go, I was like, oh, I'm not going to write this book. This is crazy. The whole thing started off with me just completely missing the first call that I was supposed to have with this editor and the publisher. Oh, like no. I just you completely, missed the call? yeah, my agent was on the call and it was like supposed to be like whatever, like Friday, 11 a.m. And I just was like, just totally forgot. Oh, and they, they obviously and forgave you. Yeah. And my agent is texting me and I don't know what I was doing. And she was like, are you joining the call? Like what's happening? And I was like, your agent must I want was, to kill you. I, I was mortified. I was so upset. And she was like, you know what? It's fine. They're really nice. It's COVID. Things are crazy. She was like, just reschedule with them. It's going to be fine. That's true. We had different rules last year. We did. Right? We did. We were a little more forgiving. And I'm such a like... I don't know, you've known me for a while now. I'm a pretty punctual person. I'm very like, I get back to people right away. So this was like very embarrassing for me. But this editor and uh, Madeline and the publisher, Page Street, gave me another shot. And in the meantime, I had, I had been talking to um, my agent and she was like, well, listen, like whatever idea you have, whatever you want to pitch to them, it's your first book. Make it easy for yourself. Like... Keep it simple, make it really approachable. And I'm like, okay, yes, got it. Easy, simple, approachable. So then I get on this call that I don't miss and they're kind of like, well, what ideas do you have? And I was like, oh, well, I have, you know, I have a proposal for this cake book that we were shopping around. And then I'm thinking about like, you know, like easy, like pantry cookies. And they're like, hmm, yeah, that's nice. I don't know. We have stuff like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, I've been doing this like weird thing with my sourdough starter where I got sick of making bread. So I started adding it to cookies and cakes and brownies. And, you know, I'm just like doing all this weird stuff with it. And they're like, oh, that's got legs. That sounds great. I got off the call and I was like, oh, 
crap. Not only did I not keep it simple, (laughs) I was like, Angela's going to kill me. I did not keep it simple. I pitched a sourdough book, which adds a whole other layer of complexity to all of these recipes and everything you're writing about. I'm going to ask you some questions about it because I, you know, I am not a hardcore baker. I am the person who seeks out the the simple recipes, the ones that you almost did a cookbook about. What is the sourdough starter adding to these products? Yeah. So the book has like kind of two sort of types of recipes in my mind. There are the recipes where it really does serve as the leavening agent, like the focaccia and, you know, the sticky buns and the babkas and all of that. And then there are the other recipes that can all be done with either the discard or fed active starter. And in those recipes, it's not really the leavening agent. It's more about like looking at it as an ingredient that's adding flavor, structure, crispiness, chewiness, tanginess, all of these things. So I just sort of started seeing this thing as not just the leavening tool like baking powder, baking soda, whatever, yeast, but an ingredient, like a flavor in my kitchen, the way I look at, oh, let me add some lemon juice. Let me add some vanilla extract. It's like, okay, sourdough in this recipe is just going to make these cookies have that sort of like deep savory quality. It's going to add some chewiness. It's going to add like extra crispiness, things like that. So I have to ask, if you don't have sourdough starter, can you use conventional yeast? No, in these recipes, you can't. <laughs> no, okay. Got it. <laughs> that would be, I mean, you Cheating. could, but you'd really have to like do some nitty gritty conversions. And also, I okay. just don't think that it would like, you wouldn't have that flavor and you wouldn't have that texture. So yeah, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> got it, got it. Let's walk through some of these recipes. Okay. Which one is a good gateway recipe? I think the best gateway recipe is the salted honey focaccia. Ooh. Yeah. Tell us about this focaccia. Yeah. So it's a really, really simple process. It's a simple recipe. It uses the sourdough starter as the leavening agent. It's a really simple bread. It's water, your fed active starter, some flour, some salt, thyme, as in it takes time to make, not the herb, <laughs> but you could add the herb. That would be absolutely delicious. T-I-M-E. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Patience, I guess I should say. Time would be nice in that. It would, With wouldn't honey it? Focaccio, yeah. yeah. I'll make that next okay. time. I'll bring you one. It's a really foolproof recipe. Everybody I've given it to, whether they are experienced in sourdough or not, has had success with it. And it's chewy. It's satisfying. It's crispy, bubbly on top. It's got the salt to balance out the sweet. And it's like, you could you could have it as like a sweet breakfast. You could have it with a cheese board. Like it's very versatile. But I think it's a great gateway recipe because it's so gratifying to see a bread come together like that for yourself if you're kind of a new baker and really understand how your starter works. So I would say if you're going to start, that's a place. That's Got a good it. place to kick it off. What recipe is the most Caroline? Oh my God. That's like asking me to pick my favorite child. Oh, this is so hard. If I had to choose, I would say it's the salted caramel hollanauts. I just, I knew I wanted to figure out a way to do a sourdough challah. 
And I tried like a couple different recipes and versions and like it wasn't really working. Like usually if I test something three times and like the third try, it still needs a lot of work. I'm like, okay, we're, we're done. The dough was working really well, but it just... I don't know. It was having a lot of technical problems, but I, I really didn't want to like give up on it because challah is just so important to me. It's very comforting. It's the first bread that I ever taught myself to make when I was 11 years old. So I was like, there's got to be challah in the book. There's got to be challah. And so I came up with these salted caramel challah knots where it's like the challah dough and you just kind of knot it up around itself and put it in a muffin tin with salted caramel and bake it. And it's like the best, if challah and a sticky bun had a baby, it's amazing. Oh, it sounds so good. I think I actually got goosebumps when you were describing that. You know which one I love? And the recipe is in the next issue of Cherry Bomb. The Millionaire's Bars, oh, yeah. is that what they're called? Yeah. Oh my gosh, they're so good. They're like the sexiest Twix bar oh, you've ever had. That's awesome. What's the story behind those? That is probably the funniest story in the entire book. And it's really an overshare. I went to university in Scotland and millionaire shortbread there is a very, it's a super common treat. It's like, kind of like Rice Krispie Treats or brownies where like you make them at home for like school snacks. And they're also just, every supermarket has like their packaged version. They're very, very like everyday. And it's a layer of shortbread, the layer of toffee and a layer of chocolate. I had never seen them before. I'm like 18, you know, I get to college and I'm seeing them around. So I buy like a, I think they came in a, I don't know, like an eight pack or something like that from Tesco, which was like the local supermarket. And I bring them back to my dorm room and I'm doing whatever, you know, studying assignment and I'm eating them. And I'm just like sitting at my desk and I'm like, oh my God, Caroline, like stop, eat. you're going to eat the whole pack. Like this is that out of control. But they're so good because they're salty, they're sweet, they're crunchy, they're chewy. It's like everything you want. And I was like, oh my God, this has to stop. So I I toss them in the, the waste paper basket that's like under my desk. I'm like, you're done. That's it. <laughs> I go out with my friends, couple pub drinks later, I come back and I, I mean, I can't believe I'm about to say this on, on air but I ate them out of the trash. And there was nothing gross in the garbage. The thing about those is like, they're just so, you cannot stop eating them because they hit all those notes. So um, the sourdough comes into play in a sourdough rye shortbread there. And they're just ridiculous. When we were editing the story about you, Audrey Payne on uh, the Cherry Bomb team wrote the story. She wrote a beautiful story. She mentions that you went to college in Scotland and I said, everyone who reads this will think Caroline is Scottish. Yeah. You're a native New Yorker. Mm -hmm. How did you wind up at college in Scotland? That's such a good question. I kind of like always knew that I just wanted a, or just like a different college experience. Growing up, I, I did have the privilege to travel a lot. And that was, I think, a huge part of my education and, and a huge reason why I was so interested in food and everything like that. It, I think I was very aware of how much I was learning by being in, in a place that was so different from where I was from, that it made so much sense to me. I was up in Scotland at St. Andrews and I was like, this is the most beautiful place I've ever been. And I want to go to school here. And that was it. Let's jump ahead to Gage and Tolner. Yeah. So you are the pastry chef at Gage and Tolner. I am a big fan of Gage and Tolner. You have become kind of famous in New York restaurant <laughs> circles for your dessert 
the baked Alaska. Yeah. Why did you decide to put a baked Alaska on the menu? It's so funny when Chef Sohi and I first... And that's Sohi Kim. Sohi Kim, um, who's the chef and, and partner, along with her husband, Ben Schneider, and their friend, uh, Sinjin Frizzell, who I've, I've, I've known the three of them for years. And when Sohi and I first sat down, this was in 2018, and she and I knew about, you know, the the history, a little bit about the history and legend of Gage and Tolmer. And she was like, you know, this sounds kind of crazy, but, you know, Ben and Sinjin saw the space and I think we're going to try to do this. And what do you think? And I was like, I think it's a great idea and there has to be a baked Alaska on the menu. We have to do it. And I, we both like felt that. We were like, there's got to be a baked Alaska. And I think that it was, and this was before I had done any research on the menus or anything like that. And baked Alaska was never served at Gage and Tolmer, but it's a Victorian era dessert. And it is really just over the top celebratory. It's really dramatic. And I think it fits that space so well. It was on the menu before COVID, before the pandemic. But I think it's like, I don't want to say important, but it's like even more exciting after COVID because it's this giant, indulgent, over-the-top dessert that people can share. And we didn't get to do that for so long. Yeah, it was just something to me that was, to me, dessert has always been this like, it should be whimsical and like special. I mean, dessert to me is special. I kind of knew it had to be on the menu and and I and I didn't, and I wanted it to be, you know, we don't pipe the meringue on, it just kind of gets like swooshed on to order. And I really wanted it to have that sort of like whimsical quality to it, I guess. Swooshed to order. Yeah. Love that. Walk us through the different layers and components because there's a lot yeah. to this dessert. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And I always tell people it takes, it's like a three-day process. So there's three flavors of house-made ice cream in it. There's a vanilla amaranth cherry. The middle is dark chocolate. Then there's fresh mint. I always love the combination of chocolate and mint. Always, always. And then there's like a chocolate cookie kind of crunch. So we churn all of those. We layer them. That sets overnight. I unmold it in these big slabs and then I cut it into portions. And then when the ticket comes in, you know, these portions live in the freezer. We make a French meringue to order for every single one. And then with an offset spatula, just kind of like swoosh it on and we blow torch it. Now I have to ask, Pete Wells did refer to it in his <laughs> New York Times review of Gage and Tolner. And he <laughs> referred to it as being the size of a large house cat. <laughs> did that make you laugh or were you like, um, Pete, why'd you have to call it that? No, I thought it was funny. I do really like Pete's writing. I think he has the right amount of, you know, humor and sarcasm and that kind of thing. And, and it is, like, it's huge. It's not the most beautiful dessert on the menu. Oh, I or, think it's beautiful, oh, Carolyn. Well, thank you. <laughs> but it's not this, like, intricate, refined thing. It's this yeah, it's just this giant swoosh of torched meringue. So, yeah. It's interesting that baked Alaskas are having such a moment. I had, I mean, I've had yours now maybe a dozen times. I had a really good one at Andrew Carmelini's new restaurant mm -hmm. down at the seaport. I was just reading Cheryl Day's cookbook. There's a recipe oh, for it there. Cheryl. Yeah. Zoe Francois, who mm -hmm. we all know and love, you know, as Zoe love Bakes. Her. I was so nervous when she came in and ordered the baked Alaska. I was like, oh, the queen is here. <laughs> But she's so sweet. She's so wonderful. She is very sweet. Okay, so that's Gage and Tolner. Yeah. I recommend that everybody goes. It's tough to get a reservation, but try. It's worth it. You'll have a wonderful time there. Let's talk Hanukkah. 
oh, because yes. we're in the middle of Hanukkah. In Judaism, we do have so much symbolism in food. There are foods that are very specific to holidays for very important reasons. So I love that. And Hanukkah is one of the best ones because it's all about fried foods. And fried foods are delicious, as we all know. And tell us what that signifies, the fried food. The fried food just symbolizes the oil that was part of the Hanukkah miracle. Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm in Hebrew school again. I'm like, okay, the miracle of Hanukkah. The temple was destroyed and there was only enough oil left to burn the lamp in the temple for one night. But the miracle of Hanukkah is that it lasted for eight nights. So we cook things in oil and we enjoy things in oil to symbolize that miracle of Hanukkah. That's why we have latkes. But when we think about Hanukkah desserts, it's all about the sufganyot. Sufganyot are donuts, basically. And uh, typically they're, so it's a nice, it's a yeasted dough, enriched. Typically they're filled with jam. So if you are... Um, in Israel over Hanukkah, like you'll see just like you'll walk down the street and the market stalls, they just have these like giant trays of sufgenyo with like strawberry jam and raspberry jam. And it's, and they're covered in powdered sugar and it's so fun. They're so delicious. And I love making them. Your family must be so spoiled. And <laughs> we, it's funny, my brother, my brother emailed me last night and he was like, hey, like, you know, cause Hanukkah, it's quite early this year. And and he's like, you know, I know you're super busy and everything. And if you can't do anything, it's okay. But it would be great if we could plan like a little Hanukkah family thing. And I'm like, oh, absolutely. Like I'm coming over, I'm making latkes. Like, <laughs> What's your latka secret? The thing is they're all like pretty similar. I have my great-grandmother's recipe, but it, latkes are always potato. Some people put onions in them. Some people don't. I happen to put onions in mine usually a little bit of something to bind it together, egg, a little bit of flour. But really the secret to a fantastic latka is to get as much moisture out of those potatoes as you can. Get them in that kitchen towel and yep. ring it, ring it, And ring, ring it. it out and then ring it out some more. What do you yeah. top them with? I love just like dunking them in creme fraiche. My family will do, everybody has their favorite toppings and we'll do like a whole spread. My niece loves them with applesauce. You know, my mom is always going to have like the caviar and that kind of thing. So a latka party is really one of the best. How about sweet potatoes? This might be an unpopular opinion. I'm really not a sweet potato fan. Okay. Yeah. I mean, some people do a sweet potato latka and I respect. What else are you making for Hanukkah? Latkes, sufganyot. I like to fry all the sufganyot and then have like different fillings in piping bags so people can like fill their own, oh, which is really, really fun. fun. Yes, yeah, so you can do like Nutella. You can do lemon curd. I love raspberry jam is my favorite, but that's like just a really fun thing. I have to ask, do you make your own raspberry jam? I mean, I do if I'm, if I have an abundance of raspberries like in the summer or whatever. If I'm doing like a whole... Hanukkah sufganyot thing to then make all the fillings. Those are like my Hanukkah staples that I have to have. All right, let's do a little speed round. Okay, can't wait. What is one of your most treasured cookbooks? Oh, one of my absolute favorite, most treasured cookbooks is decommissioned um, Brooklyn Public Library book. A good friend of mine found for me at a thrift store. And it you was, want to make clear you did not steal it from the I Brooklyn did Public Library. I did not steal it. It is no longer in print. Um, it's from the 60s and it's called, it's like Jewish cuisine from Boston to Baghdad. And it's 
interesting and inspiring and a little dated. (laughs) But I just, I love old cookbooks. And that one I tend to, and I read cookbooks. I find them very comforting. Like I read them sort of like before I go to bed, I'll like flip through. And that's one that I'm always grabbing. It's funny. Most used kitchen tool. A bowl scraper, a plastic bowl scraper. They're so cheap. They're so useful. I have like 20. Music in the kitchen. Yes or no? Yes. Always during prep. Yeah. Not during service. A little too distracting. What do you listen to? We listen to kind of everything. I personally do not like to DJ. I don't want that pressure and responsibility. You know, people in the kitchen take turns and I'm not super picky, but we do have one cook who started to put ABBA on a lot. And it's like, it's great. Like highly recommend ABBA as a kitchen soundtrack. Nobody complains. Everybody's in a good mood. It's one hit after another. It's great. (laughs) What was your last pantry purchase? Oh, my last pantry purchase was... I do make regular trips to Calustian's and... Just the famous do, spice shop yeah. in Manhattan. And I think I restocked my chili flakes. Yeah. Okay, footwear of choice in the kitchen. This has changed over the years, but pretty consistently for the last like two years, I've been wearing Blundstones. They're really durable and they, they really are quite comfortable. And they have ankle support, which I really like. <laughs> what is the oldest thing in your fridge? Oh, the oldest thing in my fridge is a jar of maraschino cherries. Dream travel destination. Oh, this has been on my list for a while. You know, once I can get some time off, I really do want to spend some time in Croatia. Yeah. I know you're very busy right now, but are you (laughs) streaming anything? Yes, I am streaming um, the new season of Succession. Um, And I am almost done with Squid Game. Okay, last question. If you had to be trapped on a desert island with one food celebrity, who would it be and why? Um, I'm sure everybody says this, but it's Ina. I mean, it's Ina. She's just so wonderful. Jeffrey can come too. We love Jeffrey. I mean, like, yeah, she would, she would make the time go. She would make the time go fast. And What would you make for Ina on that desert island? Oh my gosh. Well, assuming there's a fully equipped kitchen on this desert island. <laughs> um, oh, I'd make her my coconut cake. Yeah. I mean, Ina, if you're listening and you want coconut cake, I would love to make you coconut cake. <laughs> well, maybe Ina's listening. Yeah. And she'll put in that order. Caroline, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on your book. And before we let you go, do you want to shout out your pastry team? Because I know you have an amazing team and some Bomb Squad members are on that team. My incredible pastry team at Gage and Tolner. I'm so lucky to work with all of them. Catherine, Grayson, and Rachel. Absolutely. Dream team. That's it for today's show. Thank you so much to Caroline Schiff for joining us. Be sure to check out her new book, the sweet side of sourdough at your favorite bookstore. And if you plan to be in Brooklyn, go check out that baked Alaska in person at Gage and Tolner. Radio Cherry Bomb is a production of Cherry Bomb Magazine. This interview was recorded at Newsstand Studios at Rockefeller Center in New York City. Thank you to Joseph Hazen, studio engineer for Newsstand Studios, and to our assistant producer, Jenna Sadu. 
If you enjoyed this chat, catch my conversation with other brilliant bakers like baking icon Dory Greenspan and cookie queen Sarah Kiefer, wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, I'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast as well. Happy Hanukkah, everybody. Thank you for listening. You're the bomb.